0: struggling because my back's hurting. (laughs) I had this thing. I don't know what happened. I can't seem to get my mouth not to be dry. That doesn't sound like a real big battle, does it? But it's a battle nonetheless. And I'm not going to let anything that's trying to come against me stop me from delivering something that I believe God can use in your life today. Not because I'm saying it. Believe me, you'll see it is not. But also, I want to tell you this, too. This message I'm going to speak to you about today is for me. It's for you, too, I believe. But it's for me. And I think more than anything else that I've been working on developing, praying about, preaching, I think this message might be more for me than anyone that I've ever done. I've learned so much, and I have challenged myself, and I hope it does you. Father, use this time. Put the words that you want, not words on the page, but words by your spirit and the anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've talked about this series, Your Best Life. Who wants to live your best life? All of us, right? I'm going to ask that again. Who wants to live your best life? Why not? We're entitled to it. I think that's something that, that, that God wants us to do. We've talked about some big ideas during the last two weeks In this series, one is simply this: that there is a good God with the best plan. Say that with me, if you will. There is a good God with the best plan. And another thing that we've discovered during this is that in order to seek out and find that plan, that it requires a relationship with the Lord that's deeper, that's more significant than maybe what even we have today. And. Is what we said in week one. God's personal direction, if you seek that, to live your best life, requires a personal connection. And if we want to understand God's plan for our life, we must take a walk with God. We've got to take a walk with him. We've got to allow that relationship to breathe and to grow. And here's the thing we spoke about last week. In any relationship, no matter what kind of relationship it is, relationships are built and based on trust, and trust is tested. Trust is tested. It's not just in our own relationships, marriage, friendships, whatever it might be. It's in our relationship with God. Trust is tested. But when we trust, we grow. If we stop, we stagnate. Moving forward, we have to take steps. We have to keep stepping. We have to keep moving forward to keep the relationship growing, no matter what relationship it is. And it requires trusting. Relationships require trusting along the way. And what we found last week, too, is that what the Apostle Paul was writing about, that we spoke about, sort of boiled down to this, and that is this. When we live God's way, we discover our way. You want to you find your way in this world to live your best life? Live God's way. And so that's sort of what we've discussed so far. So now there's a man want to tell you a story about this is a man that, um, you'll know who he is when I say it, but, um, or at least most of you will, I believe. There's a man who was a, 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 just an old country boy, born in Indiana. Wound up deciding because his family was a bunch of preachers. He was called into the ministry, and he decided he was going to be in the ministry. And he got married, and I'm going to have to skip through a lot of this story, but he got married and he moved to a rural town in Pennsylvania. This town in Pennsylvania was called Phillipsburg. Anybody know Phillipsburg? Some of you Pennsylvania? I know we've got a lot of Pennsylvania people in here. Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. Population, 2770. (laughs) It's a small place, man. I feel like I'm on Hee Haw when I just said that. I don't know. There's something on on Hee Haw that always used to do something like that. I don't know a church in in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania, and God spoke to this man one night about the fact that at at the end of his night, his routine was he watched late-night news, late-night TV, and God said to him, I want you to give that up and pray for an extra hour each day. And he decided that he'd do it. That's always the big thing sometimes, right? Not what God's saying, but us doing it. (laughs) He did it. And time went on, he had made that commitment, he was honoring that commitment, and time went on, and he found one day that he was looking at his coffee table, and he saw this magazine, it was called Life Magazine, which back in those days, this is in the, by the way, I should have said at the time, this is in the 1950s, about at this point, about 1958, when this magazine cover came up. This is what it was, this is actually a copy of it right here. And it shows that, that these, these teens that were on trial for mass murder of somebody, this gang in New York City, And this man saw this magazine and he saw that and and God spoke to him and just broke his heart about that these young teenagers were, were having to go through all of this. And through all of this, God called him to leave this population, 2,700 people in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania, and go to New York City. And I'm not talking about New York City like upper midtown where it's nice. I'm not talking about the Upper West Side. I'm talking about the the, the, the dirty, gang-ridden, violence-ridden Lower East Side. The Hood. That's where he was called to, to find out where these guys were. And he did it. He went. Many people told him, man, you're crazy. Don't go up there. You don't know what you're doing, some country boy up in the... Middle of a gang-ridden place in Lower East Side of New York City at that time. It was really, really bad. Really bad. But he did. It. And he went there. And then he started finding that people were getting saved. These guys in these gangs were getting saved. They were having crusades, they were having rallies out of the parks. And people were coming by the dozens. supposed to be and he just kept on but now what I'm doing is i got all these people coming and what am I going to do with them when they get saved they've got addiction problems most of them were addicted to drugs heroin particularly so he said I got to do something and so he tried to find a place he said if I could just get a house where where they could go and we could minister to them and help them through their drug addiction and through that he founded this team challenge everybody ever heard of team challenge I know you've heard of Team Challenge. Stand up, Barry. Team Challenge changed, not the power of God changed your life through the ministry of Team Challenge. He's here today serving God because of what? Team Challenge. Because this man decided he was going to go from rural Pennsylvania to New York City. He said, I got to have some. So now... In 2019, there's 200 locations in the United States. There's over a thousand locations all around the world. Their website says, "Praise God, because a man decided to move." And who is this man? David Wilkerson.
1: Praise God for
0: David Wilkerson, who's gone to be with the Lord now. Boy, is his reward great. He's the founder of Teen Challenge. Later on, 30 years after all this happened, he founded a church in the middle of Times Square in New York City. Has 8,000 people going through there, and it's still active and vibrant today. He handed it off to somebody. Somebody's calling me, and it's ringing on my watch. Goodbye, I'm preaching. <laughs> I don't know who it was. <laughs> sorry about churches today, wrote a book, a tremendous book, a powerful book. I remember it was one of the books I read when I was a young boy my son's age, 10 years old, maybe even a little younger The Cross and the Switchblade So I started thinking about, as I thought about David Wilkerson during this time, I thought man, you know, I got envious Now envy is a word that you have to be careful about using I was talking to Pastor Dominic about this earlier I was envious, not in a covetous way I was envious in a desirous way. When I looked at the life and what happened with David Wilkerson. Not about his notoriety. No, not because everybody knows who he is or he's famous in some way. Not at all. Not because he founded an international ministry reaching addicts that I can personally relate to and that the power of God is changing lives like Barry Pendergrass and like countless of thousands and thousands of others. Not because he did that one in is because of that. Or anything else that he accomplished. Can we tell you I was envious about David Wilkerson? That he found God's plan for his life. He found it! I want that. I believe that I'm It changed it entirely. It was not anything like what he had been doing or what he was prepared to do. And I think we believe sometimes that when God's plan is revealed to us that that's what's going to happen. It's going to point us in a brand new direction. Sometimes that does happen. But that's what we always think. We just think well no, when, when God's plan is this is going to be like I'm here and I'm going here. I'm going this way and we'll go that way. So we wait. We believe that God's plan involves a, a, a future direction. So we wait, and then we wait, and we wait, and we wait some more. And sometimes we can get, you might say, if I could use this term, how many people have been in a waiting room before? The office die. I know that just by the tone of everything, you I just said, waiting rooms are not your first choice. Hey, you know what I'm going to do? What are we going to do this afternoon? Well, let's go just spend some time in a waiting room somewhere. I think sometimes we get caught in the waiting room of God's will. And it can be sometimes for years and years. And where does that leave us? I'll tell you where it has left me at times. I'll be honest with you, it's left me frustrated. It's probably left you, if you're honest, frustrated. And maybe even sometimes even irritated about why I'm waiting. And, we, and then we can start questioning that. We can start trying to find meaning for our lives In meaningless things. And in our frustration with trying to find, understand, see God's plan, we can settle in pursuing our own plans. And we know God's plan is probably better, but any plan is better than no plan. So I'm going to settle for this plan. A burden the hand is worth. Everybody knows. I'm going to settle for that. But what if this? What if the struggle to find that plan, what if it was a matter of of how we define it and not actually the direction that we go? What if it was one of definition, not direction? Now, again, I fully believe that God has a future plan for, for our life, each and every one of us here today. And it may require a change of direction. It may require that. But I've also learned, and this is in my life I'm going to speak, and I I know I've talked to many people who tell you the same, same thing, but I'll put it this way, that God's personal plan for our life can sometimes require a course correction, what I like to call a calibration, something that's there, but we just need to adjust it a little bit. And God's plan may come with a new direction. Again, I want to say it clearly, but it always seems to come no matter what it is, with course correction. That's, I believe, what in every case it is. And course correction is right in front of us. I'm going to tell you a story. At one time, our family bought—I call it a boat. Some people call it a yacht. That sounds so elite. That's what I don't want to say that. This boat was 45 feet long. Any of you that know anything about boats, it was a twin-screw diesel. Had a up on the bridge, captain's position. Had an inside cockpit. We had gone to Coast Guard captain training. We had done all kinds of training with people on the boat, telling us how to to to, to maneuver it, how to operate it, do all this. We had done all that, taking it out on a few test runs, and we had gone different places. Well, one day we decided that we were going to go down and take a trip together down the Intracoastal Waterway south to St. Augustine. We did that, and it was nice. We got down there, docked the boat for a little while, walked around St. Augustine, came back in, got on the boat. Then we decided we are going to go back home by going out the St. Augustine Inlet into the Atlantic Ocean and go back north towards the Mayport Inlet to get back home. So we did. So we're out in the ocean. And we're cruising along. You know, we're not very far out. We're less than a mile offshore. You, know, and you can see the shore right there and everything. And then, bam, this storm rolls in. And I'm talking about a storm, not a shower, okay? It was dark clouds, heavy rain. You couldn't see anything, and it just rolled in, so we quickly went from up on the bridge to inside the cockpit. The windshield wipers are going on that thing, and you couldn't see anything outside that window. Nothing. It was dark. It was like pitch black night in the middle of the day. So we're new to this whole thing, right? So we're going, and I'll never forget this. Pastor Bill came in. You might remember this. And my brother-in-law and I are in there, and we're looking at this, and we're talking about it because we had done all the training. And he walked in. And it was like that movie airplane. He walked in and said, do you guys know what you're doing? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, 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 get out of here. <laughs> what I should have said is, absolutely not. We're all going to die. <laughs> that would have been great but I didn't. Because I was so focused on what we did. So what we were doing is we, had, we knew that if we stayed on the heading that we had mapped out on the compass, which we could see. We were going to be okay to get through this. So that's what we did. It drifted a little bit this way and that compass went and we just brought it back in to that heading. Drifted off this way. A little, brought it back into that heading. The water was choppy. It was moving the boat around. And We did that. We stayed on the heading that we had plotted out. And then, eventually, not too long, it was only a few minutes, seemed like an hour. <laughs> it was a little nerve wracking, I'll be honest with you. We came out of that thing and there's the sun again the clouds. You can see the shore over there. Everything's fine. Got home safe. And I think God protected us as well. But we did that. But what we did is we stayed looking at what was there in front of us and made the necessary course corrections. Now, next week we're going to talk about, as we close this out, new direction. I'm not going to spend any more time on that today. But again, What you're going to see in the rest of this is that there's some opportunities that we all have that we can consider about course corrections. Course corrections, that's what I want to focus in on. Now, Paul wrote about this in Colossians, and that's what I want to walk through some of the scripture today that that illustrates this point. Now, he wrote to the Christian in the churches in the city of Colossae back in the first century. He outlined rules in in Colossians for Christian living, especially in chapter 3. A lot of guidelines for Christian living, God's moral will, as we had talked about before. And and what these instructions led to is what I want to talk about today, not so much the instructions, because God uses or, or used some of what Paul was writing there to, and, and what Paul wrote was, a big, what I call, status quo disrupting idea. What everybody was used to in the normal way of doing things, he set a different plan in place to consider. And in chapter 3, he gives specific instructions about anyone that's living there. Here's some of them right here. Wives, submit to your husbands. (laughs) Husbands always like that one. (laughs) But everybody, all the husbands always forget what's right next, though. Husbands, love your wives. It also says do not speak harshly or do not treat them harshly. So you're covered, wives. (laughs) Children, obey your parents. Fathers don't make obedience difficult. There's some other things, but here's the thing. He's setting a new way of thinking, and this is where we're going to pick it up in the 23rd verse of Colossians 3. It says this. Whatever you do. Now, that's the first three words. I'm going to stop right here for a second. Whatever you do. Now, all English Bibles are translated from either Hebrew or Greek. You know that, right? They didn't write the Bible in English. So, and Jakey, you know this well because you're a scholar in this area. But everything's translated. There's people that come together, scholars and people who understand all these things, and they actually translate. And now there's English translations. There's dozens of them. The ones I mainly use are the ESV, the New Living Translation, the Amplified Version, the King James Occasionally. I don't see anything wrong with any of them. Some there are out there that aren't really translations. They're paraphrases, like the Message Bible and the Living Bible. I think any way you can consume God's Word is a good thing. But ESV is a good, solid sort of anchor to to all the translations that are out there. But that's what it is. And some words, when you translate these words, are very easy to translate. They translate almost literally. Then there's some words that they find that have a little nuance to them, and it's a little more difficult. They have to spend a little more time doing that. Now, the Greek word, though, that was used in this particular passage in our New Testament Bibles today, that is whatever, is actually the word, the Greek word is actually whatever. It's exactly that. There's not really any ambiguity if you look at that. So what is included? My question to you is what is included in whatever you do? Think about it for a minute. Whatever you do, what's included in that? Okay? A lot of things. How about shoveling kids around if you have a family or your grandkids or your nieces and your nephews? you got to do stuff like that. you got to go to work. you got to go to the grocery store. you gotta you got to do stuff. Um, you gotta deal with your husbands, right? You gotta deal with your wives. You have to deal with relationships, be it friendships or family relationships, you have to be a parent. The, there's parenting involved. And then here's the one that I really like. You gotta do the dishes. How many like doing the dishes? If you do, please come to my house. How many people like doing laundry? If you do, come to my house. (laughs) I've got some stuff for you. That's whatever, though. But all of that, no matter what it is, takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. Here's some of them. This is just a, oh, you know, this is really cool, though, because I put down this. So it can be recreation, too, like fun activities if you're a golfer or a tennis player or whatever it might be. Hobbies that you may have. You may have a sewing club or any kind of thing like that. But a scrapbooking club, I know there's some people that have done that. Um, but whatever, it can be anything. Here's just a few things that you can consider. Your work, if you're dating, if you're married, you've got friendships, parenting, housework, as I just mentioned. And then one for this particular season, March Madness. How many people March Madness, people? Okay, if not, that's okay. I am. I'm unashamed of it. And today, at 2.30, I'm going to be March Madnessing like crazy. North Carolina's playing Washington. Well, that's a part of our whatevers. But look, here's what it says. It goes on and Paul says. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Now, last week, Solomon wrote something in Proverbs that we talked about last week like this. Trust in the Lord with with all your heart. It's the same idea. All your heart means is this. Everything you have, everything you are, don't hold anything back. Get all in. Do it with all your heart. I told you this message is for me today. And as I sit here, the Holy Spirit is convicting me as I'm standing here preaching this to you today. Because I'm telling you in some way, shape, or form, this is for everybody. This is for everybody. Give it all to whatever you do. So then it goes on. Verse 23 says this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human mass. Now, if you're paying attention, you're going to have to pause for a second because this is a new idea to a lot of us. I'm not saying you haven't read the scripture before, but actually taking action on this. I think when you're working on the things of God or you're doing something, you think, well, yeah, I will give everything I have to that because that's the way it is. That's God's work. If you're volunteering, if you're an usher, if you're a greeter, if you help clean the church here, if you pressure wash things, if you do things, you say, I'm going to do it the best of my ability because I'm doing this for the Lord. Or you, hey, Pastor Billy, you're, you work. For the church, I mean, you're, there are people that are there actually that work for the church. That's their profession. That's what they do. I know you're working for God. Pastor Bill, that's your job. You you work for God. See, I think sometimes we assume that pastors or people in ministry, that they're the ones working for God. But, hey, I work for CSX, or I work for Star Bank, or I work for Orange Park Medical Center. It doesn't matter where. That's our condition of thinking. And you think, hey, Pastor... You might work for God, but I work for the man. How many people have ever called your boss the man? I don't think I ever have, but I've always wanted to. <laughs> I'm working for the man. That might not even be a correct thing to say nowadays, which is all right, too. <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is. You can be a teacher, police officer, or accountant. It doesn't matter what profession it is. You're working for a lot of things, paycheck being a big one, but not necessarily for God. Are you, are you with me? Okay. I've been, I want you to get this because Paul is putting a new lens of how to look at this. For your life, he's putting a new lens on how to look at it. For your work, for your parenting, for yes, even your recreation, whatever you do. That's what it says. Isn't that what it says? Whatever you do. And if you needed some extra incentive, verse 24 says this. Since you know, that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Make sure you get this now. Stay with me. And here's Paul's point. In everything you do, directly and indirectly, you're working for the Lord, not the man. That's what you're doing. Jesus is our boss. Okay? I'm just going to get with me here, but Jesus is our boss. He's the one we report to. Have you ever had to turn in a report to a boss? One thing is you report is nothing else. You have to turn in a time card and say, here's when I was here and here's what I did. That's a report. You report to Jesus. He's your boss. That's how we need to look at it. You need to report to him every day and night. He's the one that's giving out promotions. Just like it says here, Paul calls it rewards. That's what it is. And they're better. Those those rewards are better than any raise that you might get or promotion you might get or a plaque or something like that because they are eternal. Those those rewards are eternal. It's about eternity. So now let's shift back to our plans for our life. So maybe God has something in mind for you soon. Maybe he has something in mind for you soon. Maybe it's huge plans soon. A new direction of sorts. We're going to talk about that again next week, about new direction. So I would encourage you to to be here for that. But while you're waiting, as I said before, while you're waiting, you can have great clarity on your next calling. And here's why, because you have a calling today. You have a calling today. You have a calling, in fact, while you wait on your next calling. That's how simply this, verse 23. In everything you do, whatever you do, say whatever. Whatever you do, do it as you're working, as unto the Lord. Do it with all your heart. Now think back to the list of whatever's. Put those back on the screen if you can, those those list of whatever's. You may feel like you're waiting, again, but while you wait, you have clarity. You have clarity. You don't have to wait on a calling while you wait. On a (laughs) call, I know that might sound redundant. Your future might maybe look a little foggy, but the present is clear just like the windshield of that boat I was in. When I looked at that windshield, my future looked very foggy, very murky, very dark, very stormy. But that compass right in front of me, I had absolute clarity. I saw it just as clear as I can see the hand in front of my face, and I knew when it was moving one way or the other that I could make whatever course corrections are necessary. There's a lot of this stuff. Your calling today, church, your calling today, I'm declaring it today, is to work as if you are working for God, not your boss. That's your calling. Your calling today is to work on your marriage. Now listen to me. We we prayed about this prophetically, was being prayed to there. You guys didn't know I was going to mention this specific thing. You need to work on your marriage and turn in a report to Jesus about here's how I'm working on my marriage. What would it? single one of us have a list of whatevers. And I know that some of us have a lot of reasons as to why we don't want to follow Paul's instructions. I do. <laughs> I give you a lot of them. Some of you might come up to me, and actually people have come up to me and said this. They said, well, Pastor, if you just knew my husband, if you just knew my husband, he's more of a piece of work than a calling. I can hear it right now. Where <laughs> you get say that about my wife, if you just knew my wife, you can you plug in anything you want there. But here's the thing. I know I've been there. You guys aren't out there and going through all this, and I don't. I might even venture to say I have been through more things than you have. That doesn't matter. i got it. I know. God never promised easy. That's not anywhere in the Scripture that I've ever found. If it is, please let me know. God didn't promise easy. But here's what he promised. He promised grace. He promised grace. He promised grace in the moment, for the moment. He promised that. He will give you the grace at the time that you need it for the circumstance that you're facing. In the moment, for the moment, He'll give you the grace. That's His promise. That's a promise. And thank God for it. And you can do this, not because it's easy. Not standing up here saying that you can. Not not that. But here's why. Because your boss, Jesus, is more than willing to give you the right amount of grace and strength to complete any task before you. Anything. And some of us will say, well, I want to change my list. I give anything to change my list. To go in a completely new direction. But let me tell you something. Your list of whatevers is your list of whatevers. There's some of those things you can't change. That's what I can't change. And even more importantly, here's what's really important. God is aware of your list. God is aware of your list. And He is ready, if you will let Him take you by the hand, He is ready to help you walk through every single item you're willing to do it. I apologize for this. My throat is, I can't seem like I can even breathe here. So Paul's instructions are difficult. But on the other side of that, folks, I'm telling you, I've experienced this in my life. On the other side of that, there is great peace. There is joy that, that He develops and instills in you that I, I can't even explain. It's just no, it's joy unspeakable, the Scripture says, I'm full of glory." He can do that on the other side as we do our part and as we wait and hope for what might be next. So, Rob, if you would come. Um, so, here's why. I'm going do. Here's what I'm going to do. And I'm asking you to do this with me. I'm going to focus on the calling right in front of me. In the moment. Because that is God's personal plan for my life. That is God's personal plan for your life. To focus on that. Why? Why? Because. I have a calling while I wait on my next calling. And it even says this, number 19. You have a calling while you wait on your next calling. Maybe God will show you a new direction. I saw maybe because I don't know the plan of God for each of you. He does. Maybe God will show you a new direction one day but until he does until that time happens you have a call while you wait on your next knowledge. and that that is a part of God's plan